Channel Podcast. A million smiles from Fiji. Fiji are the Olympic champions. It was a triumphant end to coach Ben Ryan's time in charge of Fiji's men's rugby sevens team. When he took over in 2013, he didn't get paid for six months. He had to get the players into shape, battling cyclones, family deaths, relationship problems, and even mysterious magic curses. But by 2016, they were the best in the world. So how did they do it? I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the Olympic Channel Podcast. Olympic Channel Podcast. Andrew Binner gave coach Ben Ryan a call to find out how he beat the odds to win with Fiji. Ben, thank you for joining us. I want to know how you managed to balance the two lives that you were kind of leading, this amazing, amazing sporting journey and what was happening behind the scenes and not burn out. The job was probably, uh, a, I wouldn't go as far as say a lifesaver, but it was a life changer for sure. You know, I think it reminded me of what was important. It reminded me on a daily basis that you only get one life and to be grateful because you're going into villages and meeting players where particularly when, when some, some pretty awful things happened when we had you know, a devastating cyclone ripping through the country and, and your players that you're working with on a day-to-day basis have lost everything and their, their families have lost everything, yet they're upbeat and happy and looking forward to what the future may hold. I wouldn't have changed a single thing. I wouldn't have ever changed not getting paid for, for however many months I, didn't, I did or, or making those decisions to go to Fiji based on not having a contract, not knowing how much I was going to get paid, not knowing who my bosses were and just taking that leap. Um, and I was, uh, you know, so all of the things that have happened, good or bad, uh, have led me to, uh, you know, a, an, an amazing place. And I'm incredibly grateful for Fiji. Is there any one particular curveball or mistake that you might have made that um, sticks out? Uh, there's a lot of curveballs. Um, I mean, in my first 48 hours, you know, everything got thrown at me. You know, I, I, I signed without signing, if that makes sense. You know, they just said, you know, when they rang me, you know, do you want the job? And, and they gave me 20 minutes to make, make, my, make my decision. If they give me a day, I would have said no. I would have been more pragmatic. I would have thought about it. I would have rang my agent and he would have said, where's your contract? What's the offer? Um, where are you going to live? Uh, and I just said yes, and you know I went to an island where the union had gone bust, where no sponsors, where the players n- n- had gone overseas, and there were there was no contracts, uh, and none of them were fit because they were waiting to see who the new coach was, and it might have been a local coach that wasn't going to pick them, um, and uh, as well as black magic, um, curses, phones being bugged, money not being given to me, um, we had. The cyclone, we had death in in the squad, all sorts of things that happened that you just you couldn't control. Um, and I think that's the key thing. You know, you quickly learn to control the things that you can can control, and the stuff you can't, you've got to just let go of because there's nothing you can do about it. So there's no point in getting too stressed about it. Just make sure your plans are robust enough to survive when they start getting belted about a bit. Just shows what an out and out rugby guy you must be because. You went for some time not being paid um, 
And the thing that kept you coming back is that you knew essentially you were working with the world's most raw, natural, brilliant rugby players. And as an out and out rugby guy, I'm sure that was something that just really excited you so much. Oh, totally. Um, I can I can give you a, a whole list of all the things in that first few weeks, first few months that would put you off and would just get you straight back on a plane home. And um, some of them were, were small and some of them were very significant. And, and all of that stuff then just you just forgot about when you got on the field and trained with the team. You know, just their pure joy, their gratefulness that you're there, the happiness, the way they want to play the game. Um, you know, it just just reminded me on why I, I, I love what I, I love to do and why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is trying to get the best out of everybody, trying to play the game with a smile on your face. And uh, and Fiji Fiji gave me that that reset button and that that all my reasons why again. And it and it you know you forget about all the other stuff. And it's not like half your your glass is half full or half empty. It's kind of like it's all the way full with with Fiji. And you know if you're feeling down, you've only got to get to breakfast in the morning and. By the time you finish breakfast, you've hugged about 20 grown men and smiled and laughed a half a dozen times and you're into your day. And that's your constant daily uh, daily way of dealing with things. So, no, I, I, I'm incredibly grateful for Fiji and I miss the islands. It's a, it's a hard place to replicate. When I joined, none of this existed. You know, the union was bankrupt and I wasn't getting paid and, and, and all sorts of other things were happening. We crowdfunded for a gym that kind of just about was finished a couple of weeks before the Olympics. So we did get some use of it, just not the not the use that, that it's getting now. Um, contracts, you know, we put them in place. So, so the framework's there for the players. Um, and the training base has just had an artificial field put on it at uh, Uprising, which is the first, I think, artificial field in the South Pacific. So they've got all of those things that they're going to be able to utilize. And of course, like the famous Singatoka sand dunes, they've gone nowhere. They're still there and the boys are running up and down them. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, there's quite a few things in place. Really. Ben Ryan came through Cambridge University and Loughborough. Always had a reputation for being a thinking coach, a coach ahead of his time. In many respects, these Fijians were the finished article when he assumed them, but he's brought them together and he's got the best out of them. And they've come here to the Olympic Games and rather like Usain Bolt when he gets onto the world's biggest stage. Fiji have been utterly dominant. Born in Wimbledon, Ben Ryan is British and coached the England Sevens team from 2007 to 2013. Once he accepted the job in Fiji, the first thing he needed to do was change his own mindset. He needed to accept the challenges of the job and figure out how his skills could best be used. The role of being the Fiji coach is a very unique one in that you're not in a typical kind of English environment where the coach is there to get the best performance out of the players. That's the only thing. It almost seems like you guys are more of a family and you almost took on more of a paternal kind of role with the guys as well. Is that is that right? I, th I think there's an element to that. You know, I think you have to get to know everyone and, and you know, bearing in mind, you know, I'm not Fijian. I didn't go to a Fijian school or live in a Fijian food um, uh, village or eat Fijian food or, or listen to Fijian music. So I had to understand the players and people I was working and living with. Um, and that meant that, yeah, I had to get to know everybody. And, uh, and as a coach, you kind of are a coach, a leader and a manager. And they're your traditional strands. But in Fiji, you know, you have to, you have to, 
dip into everything. And I was really fortunate that I had a, an amazing manager, team manager, Rapati Kavesi, and I had an amazing captain, Osea Kulinisau. Uh, and we had other Fijians around us as well. Um, some of them, the physio William and, and the conditioner Nada are still still with the team and doing amazing things. And so I really had to plug into to all of all of that um, information and all of that expertise um, to get the best out of the players. It wasn't about you know the, it wasn't so much the easy bit was probably the coaching. The hard bit was everything else around that to get the boys in the right frame of mind, fit, healthy, happy, belief, full of belief, full of purpose, autonomy. Uh, recognizing their status and their achievement and all those sort of things so that we could do our thing on the field um, uh, and so that's where I spent most of my time so yeah of course yeah I had to go into the villages meet the players meet the families and have you know really solid relationships with them. So can you remember what your response was when you were told that one of your players was cursed? Yeah I can um, it was the same it, it was me just thinking exactly the same as as I did at the start, which is have an open mind. You know, I, I never got an England player at Twickenham telling me that his legs had been cursed and couldn't play that weekend. But it doesn't mean that they don't believe that that's happened and it's valuable to them. And so, again, you just take it on board, you listen, and then you find out whether that story is actually the real story or um, what he might be or why he might be saying that sort of stuff. And then start, starting to unravel it and find solutions some of which might be very traditional solutions and some might be very left field solutions that are more driven around culture. Culturally, were you prepared for the differences which, you know, getting players to training and thing, things like that? Or were there still some things that kind of shocked you about that and the difference between players there and players over in Europe? Yeah, I, look, I think I had, a, I had a tiny amount of awareness about what might be in front of me in Fiji. I'd have spoken to a few Fijians that, that I knew playing the game in Europe or army officers or in the military, um, but I wasn't really prepared for um, everything that was about to happen. And I guess I just had a, a mindset that I had to just be open and I had to just listen uh, and see what was happening. And that would be my best way to kind of make sure I didn't make any stupid early errors and I gave myself the best chance. So that's kind of how I, I looked at things in those first few months. And, and, and then it, things got a little bit easier as I got a greater understanding of the culture. But I still get curveballs on a fairly regular basis. But you just, in the, on the islands, you don't always just decide, right, okay, it's, this is where it's come from. I make that kind of Western assumption that A plus B equals C. It's often not the case. It goes around the houses, some of the reasons why people are doing things, both in culture and politically and in other ways. And so I kind of took my time to unravel things as, as, and, and ask people to, to help me unravel them so that we made good decisions and we didn't jump to conclusions that would have meant I would have lost, you know, the respect of a player or a village or, or or my bosses. So it was, um, it was important that, that I was sensitive of all of that stuff. to Fiji 
to win not only Fiji's but the first Pacific Islands' first gold medal, first medal in the Olympics. It just happened to be gold. It is a tiny dot of an island in the middle of the Pacific, and there's not too many things that Fijians in the past have been globally recognised for outside, you know, um, outside tourism and, and now rugby. And I think everyone was very proud and, and they all felt they had a part of the ownership of that team. They, in some way, they were, they were part of the, 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 the gold medal. Uh, most of the boys came from uh, villages. They all came from very low-income families. They all had, most of them had, had jobs before we got them full-time contracts. So they were, you know, they were the, uh, working in the army, hotel porters, working in the farms. Uh, laborers, taxi drivers, uh, and um, and so the the people had a connection with them, and it's obviously the national sport. So um, all of those things kind of added up to it to make it have this this really there's a real feel good in Fiji. It kind of united the country when we came back. Do you think as well some of the added pressure that the Fijian guys are under is they're kind of they're trying to support their families, and this is this is one of the best ways to do it. Is there that extra pressure as well? Look, I think they know that good performances for the sevens team will probably lead to them either getting, you know, a job for life on the islands right. or a contract overseas. Um, but if I'm honest with you, I think at the at the time they're doing things, they're staying very much in the present. And like the rest of the of Fiji, it's very rarely do they hark back to the past or think about the future. They kind of enjoy the present, and you see that in the way that they play the game. You know, amazingly audacious, risky offloads without wondering about the consequences of what might follow and react to that. And so I think everybody enjoys what they're doing in the present. There's a legacy about the previous teams. They, they all feel that if they play for Fiji, it's not just about being handed the shirt and saying, congratulations, you, you've been picked. It's about, about winning tournaments and winning world titles. Um, so the standard, the bar is set very high for anybody coming into the Fijian team. And I think perhaps they're more acutely aware of that than perhaps the future and the financial benefits. Um, and so we've all seen the parades from Fiji after you won the gold medal when you went back after Rio. Um, I know you were given land and you were made a chief in, as well. Um, how often do you go back and how does it feel to kind of be a rock star in, in Fiji, if you will? Well, <laughs> um, the first question, I guess, is fairly straightforward. I, I went back a few times in that first kind of year, year and a bit. Um, Osea Clintus, the captain, was getting married, so I flew back for that. Uh, I flew back when when we launched the new $7 bill and the 50-cent piece um, that went into legal tender that, that, that um, also kind of I was involved in. Um, and I went back for a, a quick break. I haven't been back for well over a year now. Um, I miss it. I'd really like to go back. My diary's been pretty full. Um, a few other things have gone on that, that made me kind of not go to Fiji for a while, but I really hope I can I can get across there fairly soon. Ben prides himself on being open to new ideas. He used every technique he could in order to help his team win that Olympic gold medal. And that included things like yoga at sunrise and meditation for those tough rugby boys. You're very into physical and mental well-being. Did you ever, whether it was with the sugar or anything else, uh, go into any kind of mindfulness training with your guys? Was that a part that you, you looked into? 
Yeah, so I think two things. The short answer is we had it in our program, but we didn't do it in a traditional way. Uh, and there's two things. You know, so you'll be getting your various apps that you can get on your phone to do your medication, your mindfulness, your breathing exercises, and reading books about all of that stuff. And most of the Western world are, uh, are in that because they're, they're, they're either worried about the past or they're concerned about the future. And very rarely are they in the present, which is what meditation is all about. Um, Fiji and the South Pacific as a nation are all in the present. Very rarely are they worried about the future or going back to the past. And so they already have that head start. And then we would have um, lotto in the mornings, uh, which was basically everyone would, I'm not religious, but it was, would get together in the morning, have a little prayer about just like looking after each other today, have a good day, and we'd sing a song. And that song would actually, in the morning, and we'd do one in the evening, would give you that kind of deep breathing exercises that meditation teaches you, that long breaths and outs and then we'd have a hug and then we'd go we'd go for go for breakfast for kana and we'd also have yoga um brought in and pilates brought into our training programs and we were just really lucky that there was a yoga retreat next door and the lady that ran that said she'd do the yoga with the boys but she wanted to do it as the sun was rising on the beach and we were like yeah we're into that so so we did that as well so that that was lucky and fortunate but i think a lot of the stuff that we did and they're doing culture in Fiji is actually already taking them down that journey. Do you think that um, the mindfulness and mental preparation of an athlete is still quite underrated in professional circles? Um, and how important is it? I think um, I think it's 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 come far more to front of house in the last few years. Um, I think we'd all have been like five six years ago. We'd all been called crazy and. It, it, you know, if we were overly using some of the mindful techniques, um, but they're important. I just think with all of the meditation and mindfulness um, and self-awareness and breathing exercises, um, it's, it, you know, it's not one for some people, and I'm probably one of them. I struggle to do mindfulness and meditative stuff for more than about 10 minutes before my mind wanders. But actually, you know, you, you can do it in, you know, 10, 15 seconds, deep breathing, um, all sorts of different exercises you can do that, that that get you to that same spot, but just in a different way. And a lot of people get put off by mindfulness because it's kind of seen as you've got to sit still and do nothing for a certain amount of minutes. And actually, there's lots of different ways to just take a little bit of time out in your day where you, you give it to like just allowing yourself just for your thoughts to, to fall, really. Um, and I do that, but I don't do it in a traditional way. And I just, you know, I think there's a big place for it, but I just think we don't need to all do it in the same way. What's your preferred method of practicing mindfulness? Do you know what? In the morning, it's, it's get up. It's normally get up, bang out some press-ups badly, um, jump in the shower, pour myself an espresso and sit the espresso down. I haven't turned my phone on. If it's warm enough, I'll open up the window. Um, I might even chuck an incense candle on, don't, don't judge me. And then I'll have my espresso and I will just literally just let my thoughts fall. And you do a bit of deep breathing while you're, you know, while you're sipping on your coffee. And I start my day like that. Um, and then different times during the day, you do take those moments where you, you, you just take a time to switch off, to turn your phone off. I do a lot of walking. So, and I organize a lot of my meetings around going for a walk instead of sitting down and talking to someone. 
Um, and and for me, that that's my way again of just being able to allow myself to to lose any of my stresses and be able to think as clearly as I possibly can. <laughs> Ben has left the team now, but he still thinks Fiji are one of the favourites for attaining their Olympic title in Tokyo. Who would your prediction be for Tokyo 2020 then? Would it be Fiji? If I'm honest with you, the last Olympic Games, Fiji were a level above everybody else. And I guess I'd say that because I was coaching them. But on the flip side, it was every nation's first Olympic cycle. And you could see going into the Olympics and the Olympics themselves, some teams got their programs badly wrong and didn't get the right amount of game time before the Olympics. They either overcooked their players, they put them into the Olympic Village for too long, they, they rested players too long before the Olympics, they got their selections wrong, they panicked on, on the compositions of their teams. And I think up to half those teams underperformed in the Rio Olympics. One cycle on, so many teams are now used to that and have learnt their lessons. And I think that's going to mean that there are going to be a lot of very, very tight games in the Olympics. And over those three days, that momentum can build very quickly. And so, yes, I think Fiji are the favourites, but New Zealand aren't going to go as badly wrong as they did last Olympics. South Africa are on the up again. Great Britain managed to use that great, that, that whole, if they qualify, and there's a big if around that, but they have that whole Team GB that they can link into. And then there's some real wild cards. I work with the French Federation and they're on a real upward curve at the moment. The Australians reached the final, Samoa are going well. And of course we haven't talked about, but you know, the USA and, and what they're doing at the moment. So there really are a ton of contenders and, and that's exactly what the Olympics wanted. They wanted this new, new sport to come in and provide podium athletes that don't normally win Olympic gold, silver and bronze medals. And when you're talking about your Samoans and your Fijians and your New Zealanders, uh, you know, they, they're not at the top of the table as far as those Olympic final charts are concerned. Do you have any ambitions to go back to coaching? What would, what would get you back to coaching sevens? Yeah, I do have ambitions to get back. I'm not sure it's going back to sevens. Um, I think I kind of closed that book. Um, performance directing. So running overall overall program um, and, and something that's chunky and challenging would get me back, I think. I really enjoy the variety of stuff that I do. I'm really lucky at the moment, but I'm starting to scratch an itch around wanting another project. You know, a lot of people said to me after the Olympics, well, you know, this might be the, the, the your, your highlight of your career. Um, and they might well be right. I just kind of would like to give myself a crack on another something else that might be of similar similar level and I've got a long time left in in coaching and in performance directing so yeah I I, I kind of like without again wanting to get a bit too hippie I think something will fall uh, the right way and it will be the right decision um, but right now at the moment I'm continuing to, to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, well Ben Thank you very much for talking to us today. I've really enjoyed hearing about some of those great stories from Fiji and hearing about what you're up to at the moment, some of the exciting projects. Thanks. I really enjoyed the questions. Thank you very much for having me. Olympic Channel Podcast. Huge thanks to Ben Ryan and to Andrew Binner. You can follow Ben on Twitter as 
at Benjamin Ryan. His book is out as well, which Andrew has read and said is very, very good. I've put it on my list. You can follow Andrew on Twitter as well. He's just Andrew Binner. I'm at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. And remember, you can follow us on at Olympic Channel as well. Next week, we have a huge star from the surfing world, Kelly Slater. So here's a little teaser from that interview. Don't take this the wrong way, but there are so many people around the world who admire you and love you and respect you and want to wake up in the morning and be you. Do you wake up in the morning and go, open your eyes and be like, yeah, it's great being Kelly Slater? Oh, I mean, look, I feel that sometimes, but I honestly sometimes wake up and, and don't like that position at all. You know, I, I sometimes wake up and feel totally alone in this world, which is probably sounds strange to people, but I think it happens to people who, who um, have had a, a great deal of success in their lives. You know, I've heard that that happens to other people. Um, I don't know really what it's like for anyone else, but like I sometimes feel just like super alone and like people don't quite relate. Hit subscribe right now so you don't miss that one. If you could leave us a five-star review on the podcast app, that would also be great. That is it for now, though. See you soon. Think like an Olympian.